0: Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk.
1: You can email the show alive and kicking at Newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Eamon Byrne, Irish Paralympic track cyclist on living with psoriatic arthritis, and wellbeing coach Ashling Nestor on addressing burnout and stress for medical professionals. So what kind of health and wellness week did I have? I have been good. I was away with some friends for a few days. So that was a nice recharge of the batteries. I know I've said it before, but to be able to get out of your own routine and experience life somewhere else, even for a few days, even if it's just down in the next county, it really does make such a difference. And... I've been ruminating a bit lately on the changes that come in your life as the decades change. I've had changes within my friendship groups, within my family and even with my kids. And when it comes to the friendship groups, I find it's getting harder to celebrate them as much as you could in previous years. And I don't think, to be honest, the two years of various lockdowns and not being allowed to see anyone without limitations helped. In your 20s, you're free to meet up all the time and your life is about your friends. and. Then if you go down the family route, as I did, that, of course, becomes your world. But again, your friends are within that world, too. Um, You know, the ones that, that are. You go for meetings with them and the kids are all together. But I'm in a phase now where kids are older. They're more independent. You're dropping them here, there and everywhere. They're going to bed later. So it can be a lot harder. And I think we always feel like we shouldn't moan because we're lucky to have health and privilege and yes that is true but the struggle to be the best all the time and feel like you're failing is really a struggle especially when as I say you have the the privilege and the health as your springboard. So to be the best at parenting, marriage, socialising, health and wellness and work just doesn't happen at all times so wherever you're at with it I salute you we are all doing our version of our best, whatever that is. Now, aside from my musings of life, I have some good news. I can announce the second Alive and Kicking event today. It will be taking place on Sunday the 12th of June. It's in the morning time and it's in Dublin. Again, I do plan on travelling further afield and I'd love to hear from you if you have a venue or a practice that you would love us to come and try out with some listeners. This event is going to be a session of anti-gravity yoga followed by sound bath healing anti-gravity yoga is with silks that hang from the ceiling. They're like hammocks and you can make them into a a U-bend almost and you sort of hang out of them and pull it out of them and they're incorporated into basic yoga moves. It will be beginner level, an introductory class. Now, anti-gravity yoga was one of the first things that I went out and tried when I started presenting this show three years ago. And I was apprehensive, and I tried it and I was hooked. It's like yoga and strength training combined. It's in a gorgeous studio. And Suzanne Kenny from Yoga for All is incredible. And you might Google it and look at photos or go to Suzanne's page on Instagram, and you'll be thinking, I can't do that. But I assure you, you will be surprised what you can do. And some very simple moves can make for some incredible photos. And It's really good to push yourself out of your comfort zone. It's a real one of them that you think, oh, I can't do that. And then you do it and you feel great. So it's going to be all fitness levels, body shapes, inclinations are invited. This is a fully inclusive event. And look, I'm just as apprehensive about things like this as the next person. But I think that you will love it. After all that exertion, we are going to then climb into the hammocks and be treated to a sound bath meditation by Emma West, who's going to have lots of gorgeous vibrational instruments so you can reduce the mind wandering and have something to focus on as you deeply relax. I'm very excited about it. It will be so nice. Again, if you've never tried it, it's an opportunity to give a different kind of moving your body a go, a different kind of yoga a go, give a different kind of meditation a go, try sound bath meditation But just before I tell you how to apply for the invite, because numbers are limited, of course, I need to tell you these health and safety bits. Sound bath meditation is not suitable for people with pacemakers, sound sensitive epilepsy and the first trimester of pregnancy. And in fact, pregnancy at all is not suitable for anti-gravity yoga because there is a bit of hanging upside down and, and bits and bobs. But again, I don't want to frighten you off, but pregnancy and the other issues I mentioned there are not going to work this time. So to apply and remember, you're just going to register your interest and you need to get an email with more details to know that you can attend. But you go to Newstalk.com forward slash yoga. That's Newstalk.com forward slash yoga. Fill out the form there and hopefully I will get to meet you in the yoga studio very soon. You can always email the show aliveandkicking, at newstalk.com, particularly as I said if you're somewhere around the country and there's something in the health and wellness space you think we should come and try or you have a venue do get in touch with me. Now, Aisling Nestor was working as a mental health nurse and had a huge bank of knowledge on how to look after your mind and manage stress. But when she found herself burnt out, unable to leave her bed, she knew something had to change and it did, including the focus of her work, which she has shifted to helping others manage stress and burnout and in particular, healthcare professionals and frontline workers. She joins me in studio now. Hello, Ashling. Hello Claire. Take us back to that time. What was going on in your life? I mean, I'm sure there's a timeline of events that sort of goes way back, but when you found yourself in the bed unable to to leave it, what had happened in the in the months before?
2: What had happened? You know what? It was 2019 and it was the March. And I remember I was after starting a new role and again I was after I'd found myself, um, I suppose, after leaving nursing because unfortunately there was like a series of events that had happened where I got injured and I just didn't feel comfortable working on the wards. So this was the contract that I'd found myself in and I was eager and I was all excited and I suppose there's a part of me that is that high achiever and and, and the perfectionist. So here I am in a new role and I'm really eager to succeed and to do well, And but I just felt... It, something wasn't working, it, it didn't seem to be, something wasn't fitting and I never stopped to kind of ask myself what's going on, like why, why isn't this flowing the way other roles have flowed for me and because I didn't stop and ask myself, it was nearly like the symptoms had started, I started to get tired, I started to know that my concentration wasn't the same, I was getting irritable but it kept getting worse and this was, it was definitely going on for about six months. And each week it was getting worse and worse and worse. But then there was an element of embarrassment coming into it. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, what are people going to think? You know, my am starting another new role. It's another contract. If this doesn't work, where am I going to go? So I, I felt myself embarrassed about it. I just didn't want to talk. And I was like, well, who do you talk to about this? Like, I, as you said, Claire, my background is in mental health nursing. And I suppose I know there is that stigma even attached to when to stress, when things aren't working out. So I kept it to myself, and I felt, do you know what? I have the skills that I used to teach my my patients, and I'll, and I'll do that for myself. But it wasn't working. And then I went home for that weekend in October, and I'll never forget it. Um, I I was went home, and I walked in the door on a Friday to greet my mom, and I was like, Mom, I'm just so tired. I need to go to bed. And I didn't realize what was what that what was ahead of me, um, and I just went into bed, and that was me there for three months.
1: Wow! And mm. people will say, "But well, what? What do you mean three months? Why didn't you just get up the next day and go for yeah. a walk or come down for breakfast?" But this is the misunderstanding of burnt out. It's the end. Yeah. It, it, it's really the end, and like that's and that's where I found
2: myself where I am now. Because I remember like lying in the bed one day and being like, "Do you know what? If I..." ever find myself out of this because when you're in that place when you're in that place you can't actually really see where you're going to end up because I remember thinking like if I can even make it through this day and and muster up the energy to even like get out of bed for five minutes to go maybe go down to the kitchen eat my breakfast so I can come down I've actually succeeded and achieved an awful lot in that day so it was so so scary um, but it was yeah it was just scary Claire that's all I can say
1: I watched an Instagram Live um, Mm. on your uh, page with uh, a lady called Lisa and both of you had experienced burnout. And the way you were both talking about it, it was very different. I didn't realise that you were saying it was unmanaged stress and it Mm. just builds and one thing layers on top of the other. And I think a lot of us say, but sure, we're grand, we're healthy, we have a lovely life, we have jobs, aren't we so lucky? Look what's going on elsewhere in the world these aren't big stresses. You think it has to be big traumas and sometimes they are traumas that happened years ago but you think you're, you're, you're okay but they all compact. And that's exactly it. And you were talking about a sort of a disassociation from life coming on and Lisa was talking about a cynicism towards the, the world and a, a loss of cognitive function and they're not symptoms that we, we really hear that much about. We don't because people don't talk about it. Like,
2: I'll never forget when I was in bed and, you know, because part of me, even though I wanted to be up the next day and I wanted to be, to be doing things, I still had the energy to look because I was like, if all, because oh, I'd gone to the GP consultants, they'd done all the medical examinations and everything had come back clear. Like, I was being told I'm healthy, but I was like, but what's, what's, what's causing all these symptoms? And when I went on my search to get information about burnout, I found one article And I remember even trying to contact this guy. I was like, I need to get my hands on him. I need to talk to him because I don't actually understand what's going on. And it's it's because people don't talk about it. So I was like, if I can get myself to a place where I can be recovered, I'm going to teach people how we can prevent ourselves from getting to where I got. And if we do find our place, if we do find ourselves in this place, what we can actually do to help ourselves get out of it. And it is that piece of like, not managing the stress. And we think we're managing it, clear because we're functioning. You know, we can go to the cinema, we can go out with our friends, we can put the makeup on and everyone thinks because the makeup is perfect, that everything is good. It's like that Instagram shot, like what's really going on behind that smiley face. And we don't talk about that enough because there's so much shame, there's so much embarrassment.
1: And there is a real mm. stigma with burnout uh, and I know we talk about it with mental health and we say, why don't we? If there's something wrong with your leg or your gallbladder, you go and get it sorted out. But there isn't the same, I'm not coping. If there's something wrong with your leg or your gallbladder, mm. it's not associated with your ability to live in the world. It's just something that happened to you and we don't think about mental health that way and we, we should.
2: Yeah, yeah, completely. And, you know, what I'm thinking about it, when I was working as a nurse, um, and you know, I was thinking about it, I actually was listening back to one of your other podcasts with um I can't I'm not really good at remembering names, all about well being in the workplace. Um but when I was working as a nurse, I and I think when I'm speaking to like other healthcare professionals, there's definitely challenges that we meet. But because we're in the healthcare profession, we think that we we've a green card that kind of makes us v- invisible. That we can we can deal with the stress, and that, but we actually can't. We're as vulnerable as the next person. Um, and when I was thinking about like, what is it that doctors and healthcare professions are challenged by that makes that brings about stress in their lives that potentially can lead to the to a burnout for them. And generally speaking, and I'm only speaking from myself and the clients that I work with, um, and there's three themes that come across really strongly. And one is this perfectionism. You know, a lot of people, and I'm sure this, this can be said for a lot more people outside of the healthcare setting, but the high achievers, we want everything to be perfect. We can't make mistakes. We don't allow ourselves to make mistakes. And then when we do, we beat ourselves up. And then this is where the worry starts to come in and the anxiety. Then we've got boundaries. Like we don't know how to set boundaries. And again, just purely speaking from healthcare, and again, I'm sure listeners can relate to this in their area of work, we don't know how to say no. So when we're always saying yes to others, we're forgetting that the person we're saying no to is ourselves. And maybe we're saying no to that five minutes that we need to just, I don't know. Maybe it is to just flick through the phone as much as there's, even though there's so much bad press about it, but maybe that's what we need to just get away from what's going on. And then in healthcare, definitely, and I can relate to this completely myself, but the blurred lines between being sympathetic and, and empathetic, we blurred them. And it's all because during our training, there's definitely a strong theme of the patient comes first, like, and I went into healthcare when I was 18, like I'm 37 now, so this is like a good 18 years of, of having this bet into me, the patient comes first. So when you know there's staff shortages, you're, you're going to step up because you know that your colleagues need you. You know that your colleagues need you so they can be there for the patients. And then there's the communication piece. We don't know how to communicate our needs. And then it, it just becomes a really big issue that we don't deal with. But there's just so much stigma and embarrassment about it,
1: And you're you're facing so much trauma, you know, not every patient outcome goes the way you'd hope it would. You're dealing with family. You're in very stressful situations, very emotional situations, even where the good news can come. But it's people you're meeting in very tough situations of, of your life on a constant basis. And even if you disconnect from that, that's got to have an impact. Yeah. It does,
2: but it's, it's like what you're saying, you know, stress doesn't, doesn't just come on us. The, the, we can have moments in time where we get stressed. And the thing is, an element of stress is good, you know. So I don't want people hearing me talk about stress and think, oh my God, I don't want to get stressed. No, because stress gets us out of bed in the morning. Stress, stress gets us to do a certain amount. But when it becomes to a point where it's impacting negatively in our, on our lives, that's when it becomes a danger. And it is, it's all the small things. It's like, I describe it as, I don't know, if you think of a wall and someone is building a wall and it's their first time to build a wall, there could be stones and when you're looking at it, it looks steady. And then next thing, a stone will be put on the top of it and it could look like it's a really small stone compared to the rest of the wall. But this is the last stone that just, that wobbles it. Or in some cases, it's going to flatten the wall. And that's, that's like a visual of what stress is. We don't realise it that each of these little things are building up to the potential wobble or the completion of just
1: falling apart. So how did you start piecing yourself back together then?
2: Yeah, how did I? First of all, it was definitely, I, I knew I needed to get all my medical checks tested out just to make sure there was no physical explanation for how I was feeling. So once I had that, then I was like, okay, there's something else going on. So obviously being mental health, I did think, is this depression? Is this anxiety? So I went, got my assessments done, even though I knew the answer was no, but I said, you know what, let's let the professional really decide what's going on. And they came back and they're like, no, there isn't. Because I was so hopeful about the future, I didn't want to be where I wanted to be. And then it was in my journey of like just stumbling across scrolling on on Google, being on Instagram, I came across a life coach and I was like, "Okay, what have I got to lose? Like I literally had nothing to lose. And I remember being in the bed and Les Brown, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he's an American motivational speaker. And one of the sentences he says in one of his speeches is, if I can look up, I can get up. And that was the one sentence that kept kept me going. And I was like, do you know what, Ashton? you can literally look up so you can get up. And it was just the determination and the drive to get better. And I knew that I was the one that had to make this happen because at this stage I'd realised that the, the definition of burnout was, was prolonged unmanaged stress. So yes, you can say those external factors that contributed to it, but the bones of it was, I didn't manage stress. So I was like, right, if I got myself into this mess, I can get myself out of it. But I knew that because I had tried therapy as well and therapy wasn't working. So it was life coaching and I was in that journey and it was, it was learning who I was as a person. It, it was nearly like you forget who you are because you're constantly, I suppose for me personally, I was the perfectionist always trying to get it right. I was always saying yes to everybody. I didn't have the confidence to communicate what I really wanted and what I really needed. And then as all of these were starting to, to, to add up, it was nearly like I lost sense of who I was. And I, I hear my clients talk about this all the time. It's like, do you know what, I, don't, I just don't know who I am anymore. And that's where it started. And it was in that journey of realizing what are my values? Like, what do I actually stand for? What are my strengths and am I using them on a daily basis? And this is what the research is even telling us is what's going to bring about contentness and fulfillment into our lives. Then, what are my passions about? And I love dancing and I'd forgotten that I hadn't been doing it. And I've gone back dancing now, even if it's only around the kitchen, it's not always the class. And then, learning how to design boundaries that fitted me and how I wanted my life to look, and then learning how to actually effectively communicate. Because a lot of time we think we're communicating because we're talking. But if we listen to the the words we're using, are we actually really just talking? Or is it a purposeful talk that we're, purposeful words that we're speaking with the intention to get um, some sort of an outcome? So it was those pieces that I finally put together. And as I was going through them, I could just eventually feel myself like the tiredness started to go. The irritability started to go. I was getting more concentration. I'll never forget then about a year later. Oh, because I was, I'd realised at this time, was go, at this stage, it was going to take me about a year to fully recover. And that in itself kind of had thrown me back at one stage. But I was like, no, just, just accept it. If you keep denying this, it's going to get harder. Um, and then I'll never forget about a year later. I was like, I think I'd woke up and I was like, oh my God, I'm back. And it was such a gorgeous feeling. Wow, it's amazing, yeah.
1: and like people will think that saying it well, when you say it takes a year, it doesn't sound relatively simple. But like setting your boundaries, finding out what your values yeah. are, people think it's going to be—it's quite simple when you look at it. But it takes work, and you have to dig around yeah. a little bit and dig deep. But on the other side, one day, as you say, you just felt like you were yourself again. And if you look at how we have society set mm-hmm. up, it's all about achieving and it's a big focus on the career and that's the only kind of area we don't really talk about values in the same way and boundaries in the same way and now I think wellness and and I'm saying that as a presenter on the subject is really dangerous because it's like are you living your best life are you manifesting everything and if you're Mm. not then you're doing life wrong I think that's another pile of stress on our back and then we're in the age of distraction I mean I'm sure there's people listening now who know in detail what's going on between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, but don't yeah. really know what's going on within them. And I find myself being pulled into other people's lives as yeah. well. And we should be spending that time a bit more on ourselves.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's actually like there's five, there's five pillars to well-being. OK, and I love them because it's not all about, as you're saying, like having the best life, inverted commas, and, and what that really looks like. It actually brings it down to just like the simple things in life. And like what the research again is telling us is like it's our, our job, our career. And if we have this working really well for us, we're, we're off to a good start. The, next, the other ones then, we've got our relationships, like how are they working for us? We've got our finances, are they working for us? I'm sure we could, at this stage it's, it's probably difficult for everyone with everything that's going on. But still there are some people, we can still be content with what we have if we learn to manage to live within our means. Then we've got community. Are we actually part of like a community spirit? Like whether for some people it might be being part of like the tidy towns, um, just making sure that when you're down in your local shop that you're having engaging in a conversation. Whatever that sense of community is for you, to make us feel that we're part of a bigger world than ourselves. And then the the last one then is our health, and that's like our nutrition, our exercise, um, and our mental health, and. When I'm working with people, they're the five things that I'm I'm actively listening to here. Have they got these working for them? And if your job isn't working for you, there is huge evidence to say that everything else isn't working for you. But if you can get your career working for you, chances are everything else, if it's not working too well, you've a better chance of getting it to work for you. And again, it does clear, it comes down to the small things. But we begin we've kind of got to a stage where the small things, we disregard them because we're constantly looking at what everybody else has. It's this comparison. But really, if we're looking at what is that comparison all about, it's probably like our insecurities really coming out.
1: Yeah, And, and then look, that's the
2: cycle of stress.
1: Ignore them at your peril because that's what you were doing. You're like, I'm fine. I've got this. Everything's great. You know, and you pushed it down and pushed it down and all of yeah. a sudden you couldn't get back up again. So mm. you're now working as a wellness coach, yes, working with people, but you're focusing on on healthcare professionals and I was working here on News Talk on the bank holiday that Mm. was given as a thank you and I spoke to an A&E doctor and you know the shifts are still the same people will be listening she said we're not eating right we're not sleeping right we're trying to juggle family life can you really get a hold on it when all those factors still stay the same you can
2: 100% you can because Claire, like yes there'll always be the external stressors but what I'd love to get my hands on that doctor and ask him, what are, you, what are you saying yes to that you really should be saying no to? And then it's like, what are your values? And to make sure that when they're in that work environment, that they can see that every action and every task that, that they're doing, that they can really see that it's in line with their values. But when we're not aware of that, we don't realise it. So we're doing tasks and we're doing them for the sake of it because, oh, do you know what? This has to be done because of X, Y, and Z. But when we bring it back to do you know what? I'm doing this task because my values, it's all about being respectful. It's being loyal. It's being compassionate and caring towards people that I meet. And if we bring it back to it, bring it back to that on those days when it's when it's really busy. That The waiting list is, is as long as our arm. And then it's our strengths. Well, what are your strengths as a doctor? Is it that you, you can get a bit of humour even in the most stressful situations? We'll use that to your advantage. And now let's look at what are you really saying yes to that you really should be saying no to? If you said yes to taking on those 10 extra patients, did you really believe that you had the time and the energy to look after those patients? And maybe by saying, do you know what, I have a really busy um, clinic ahead of me. Um, I don't see how I have the time to see them today. Um, And by by that, I don't think I can serve them best. So is there another way? Do we have another option of how we can make this work? And maybe the answer is, no, we don't. You have to see these 10 patients. And that's where there is that that's this external factors. And unfortunately, there is always those external factors where there's a shortage of staff. You know, like we can't cure what's going on in the HSE at the moment and in healthcare settings. But there's definitely an element where we can show up as our best selves and and that can reduce that stress that we're feeling.
1: And look, you're tried and tested with yourself yeah. and many of the clients you've been seeing over the last while. Where can people yeah. find you?
2: Yes, they can find me two places. One is on my Instagram. So I'm cognitive behavioural coaching. Um, and then my LinkedIn profile, then it's Ashling Nestor. So there's loads of content. And then my number, then it's my it's my work number. It's 087-9383-214. And I love hearing from people. So,
1: well, I will tell you, I did a session with Ashling <laughs> this week, and I'm a health and wellness presenter. I'm constantly saying I know myself inside out, and she absolutely blew me out of the water. I can't recommend her <laughs> highly enough, Ashling oh, Nestor. You. Thank you so so much for coming on. Oh, thank you, Claire. Psoriatic arthritis affects 30% of people living with psoriasis, but it's notoriously difficult to diagnose. I'm joined in studio now by Professor Doug Veal, consultant rheumatologist at St. Vincent's University Hospital, and Irish Paralympian Eamon Byrne, who has psoriatic arthritis. Well, you're both very welcome.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Claire.
1: Eamon, before we get into that, can we talk a little bit about your work with the Paralympics? Because you're involved in tandem cycling. You're a guide guide to Martin Gordon is that right Yeah
3: yeah um I've been riding with Martin for five since 2016 5 years going on 6 and yeah we got an opportunity to just come together ride the world champs I think it was early 2017 and we just built from there we we qualified for Tokyo last year amazing
1: so that's still the full-on training. As the guide, you're doing the exact same. I mean, it's tandem, so yeah, it has to be.
3: Yeah. So we're connected by the same chain line. We do the same training. It's probably, I, it's no different of a commitment than somebody who's going to the Olympics. Really, you know, we we train just as hard and we put the effort in. Um, but yeah, we're 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 a combined effort then when we jump on the bike.
1: And what was the experience like?
3: It was great, but it was very surreal because it was obviously in the midst of, of, of COVID, right in the middle of it. Um, probably not the experience we would have had if it was, you know, two years previously. But it was obviously an amazing experience. Uh, really, really good to be involved with it. Yeah.
1: So are you on an indoor track or is it?
3: Yeah, so we, we that's we're, our specialty is sprint. We ride on the velodrome, 250 metre uh, banked wooden velodrome. So the banking is like 42 degrees. So it's, it's pretty much close to riding on a wall. Um, which on a tandem is even more fun than on a solo bike yeah
1: and so are you communicating to each other or do you just get a flow that you both know w- what to do
3: there's a little bit of little bit of A and B um, we do obviously we, we rely heavily on communication but a lot of that is unspoken as I said we're on the same chain line so if we were in like a, a match sprint situation against another bike you can't verbalise everything because you could give away your tactics Um Whereas you can, like Martin can feel, you know, if I'm putting some more pressure down on the bike or if I'm easing off or, you know, moving up and down the track. And obviously we have some code words as well that I won't talk about now just in case our competitors are listening.
1: Wow, it's
3: fascinating, (laughs) isn't it? Myself
1: and Doug are hanging on your every word. and People can't see because it's radio, but you actually have a cyclist on your T-shirt. So you really love cycling. I'm a
3: bike geek. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have every kind of bike as well. Bike geek. Once I hear someone wants to ride a bike, I'm all about it, yeah.
1: You're also a member of Angarda Kona so you have a very busy life. So to hear something like arthritis, whether it's got psoriatic at the start of it or not, people would think, how are you managing all of that? Tell us a little bit about the impact it was having or the symptoms you were experiencing.
3: Yeah, so for... For years, I would have just said pain because I think once you're in pain, sometimes it takes over all your other senses. You don't know, you know, You I, I would have put fatigue at the time down to pain or down to shift work and stuff like that. And just generally having a bad back would be the phrase that I've always used. I have a bad back. So if I was in pain, well, I have a bad back and that was what it was. And I never, uh, I never realized I was having like constant flare ups or somewhat regular flare ups. And could never pinpoint why. I wasn't really managing it. I was just getting getting through with it and getting along with it. And maybe because I didn't have, I couldn't pinpoint the reasons as to why I was in pain, if that makes sense. I just thought I had a bad back and that was it.
1: But if you're going to be cycling a lot or if you're going to be doing a night shift, it's easy that you would start to attribute that. Like, was there a bad chair at the station that you were sitting in? Did you overexert yourself in a, in a training session? Yeah. And that's what we... We kind of do, we compensate it rather than thinking it'll be yeah, something yeah. else. So are you seeing physios and everything on a, on a regular
3: basis? Yeah, um, I'm lucky enough to be involved with Sport Ireland for the last, you know, five, six years. Um, and we had some really good um, physiotherapists and sports medicine doctors there in Sport Ireland and in Paralympics Ireland. Uh, and that's, that's how this all came about. That's how I was diagnosed because um, I had a massive flare up. I got a flu. Um, from that flu, I had um, lots of joint pain, like an excruciating amount of joint pain. It was in my knees, my back, my sternum, and it stayed. So it stayed in my sternum in particular, um, which was a strange one because we, we couldn't work out why I would have sternum pain. I never had a problem with it before. And it was just something that was investigated then. It was x-rayed and it was MRI, and they found edema on the bone. Uh, and from there, because of my history of back pain, I had an MRI on my, my, my sacroiliac joint, my lower back, and it was discovered that I had inflammation and, and that's, that's where it started for me. That's when I went to see a specialist.
1: And how did that feel? Were you relieved to have a diagnosis and then some sort of treatment plan? Or I suppose there's a stigma associated with the word arthritis that it's you know going to stop you doing things. It's going to be debilitating mm. and it's attached with getting older.
3: So I actually spoke about it on the podcast on the So Let's Talk psoriasis because it, it, initially I was, when I found out, it didn't change a whole lot. We, we changed the treatment. I was given some anti-inflammatories that were different to what I was already taking and the physio was then more aware of it. So we knew that we had a different approach to take. We could have, you know, we, we worked a lot on mobility and, and certain, um, you know, strength and conditioning exercises that would have, you know, built up my core that kind of thing. But then I still had a flare-up not long after that. And we realised then that when I went back to the specialist and had a, a chat with him that, you know, we changed the, the treatment. But it's it's changed no, when I, when I it, it's given me more knowledge. So I'm a bit more empowered now. I know what the condition is. I know what brings it on now more. I know what I need to do right. And I know when I'm doing something wrong that I'm probably asking for trouble down the line at some stage. Um, but yeah, really knowledge is power. It, it, that really helped me.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, let's bring in some more knowledge then uh, with Professor Doug Veal. What is psoriasis? People will know psoriasis and think it's kind of a yes. a skin condition, but it, there, there's more to it.
0: So the psoriasis, yeah, is the skin condition. And as you mentioned, it's quite common. Uh, affects about two out of every hundred people. Uh, and that's fairly standard across the globe. Uh, and of those people, about 30% So uh, one in three will get an arthritis. And one of the reasons I think uh, Eamon has highlighted, you know, one of the reasons it's difficult to diagnose is because there's no simple blood test. So there's no diagnostic test that is, you can sort of say, right, we'll do that and it'll prove that that's the diagnosis. And the other thing is that it, it very often actually occurs in young people. And, you know, people tend to ignore their health and and sort of ignore the aches and pains uh, until it becomes a real problem. Uh, So it can affect the spine, it can affect the feet, it can affect the hands, it can affect really any joint in the body. And it can also uh, produce symptoms that are really very similar to tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. And so some people put it down to what they've been doing as well. And so there is a tendency to ignore the symptoms. But essentially the difference between psoriatic arthritis and other forms of arthritis is that the inflammation affects the joints uh, and also the ligaments where they attach onto the bone. And that's why it affects the spine because there's lots of ligaments attaching onto the spinal bones. Uh, And the inflammation uh, often causes then pain pain Uh, which is actually worse when we're resting. So often worse at night, uh, in bed, and before we get up and start moving around. And one of the characteristics of inflammatory pain associated with inflammatory arthritis is that the pain usually gets a little bit better when we start doing things. So when we start moving, you feel a bit limbered up and feel a bit better. So people tend to then sort of say, oh, I just needed to get going. Uh, and get moving and so they ignore it again
1: And I suppose we get used to pain don't we?
0: Very quickly uh, Studies have shown that within a period of six months if you are having recurrent pains in the same joints that you you tend to sort of ignore them uh, after six and months And just work around yeah, them and work around them The body is and, so and adaptable we adapt. Yeah, we yeah. adapt absolutely And in fact so again, with inflammatory arthritis, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications often work very well in the first, you know, in terms of controlling the pain in the first few weeks. So people then take an anti-inflammatory like Nurofen or whatever, you know, um, ibuprofen, and then they tend they tend to sort of say, well, I can manage with that, so I'll just take that whenever I need it.
1: And is it an autoimmune condition?
0: It is an autoimmune condition. It's sometimes called an auto-inflammatory condition because there's no specific Antibodies. Uh, we we usually define autoimmune diseases by autoantibodies. and these are antibodies that the, the the body produces that actually attack yeah certain structures within our own body. So it's the immune system actually attacking ourselves, uh, and that's where the whole sort of autoimmune you know concept uh, has come from. But there's no specific antibodies in psoriatic arthritis, but we know that there's inflammation. And it's very similar. The inflammation that's produced is very similar to, to that that we, we see in autoimmune conditions.
1: And does it present differently in every person? Yeah,
0: so some people, like Eamon, can present with spinal pain or pain in the, in, in the chest bone, in the, in the sternum, can, a, can present with pain in the feet, can present with pain in the, in the hands, in the jaw. And then it can affect other areas, other tissues. So skin, obviously, is one with the psoriasis can affect uh, the eye. So you get inflammation in the eye uh, tissue. You can get inflammation uh, in the um, the fingers, as I said, the, the joints around the fingers, but also in the soft tissues and these areas where the ligaments attach onto the bone.
1: And when you're seeing somebody and you ask them to assess pain, is that important or is any pain valid? I'm just thinking of people listening and they're like, I've got a niggling something somewhere. Mm. Is it essential that you just go and get it checked? Because ultimately is the MRI that gives the, yeah, the so final Yeah, so in Ames' case it was
0: the MRI. But, it, you know, um, yeah, we would say if you have a pain and it's persisting for, you know, more than a week or two, then you should really get it seen by a rheumatologist because, um, you know, it may be some little clue in there that, you know, links the psoriasis with the arthritis Uh, And it may be, it may not be the psoriasis or the arthritis, it may be the eye or maybe the finger or the toe that actually, or the nail. And nail disease is another feature of uh, psoriatic disease. And in fact, so we, as doctors, we're moving away from the term, if you like, arthritis to disease because of course it it affects the skin, it can affect the nails, it can affect the hair, the scalp, the, the joints and all these other areas as well. So we think of it now as a sort of a spectrum of disease.
1: Yeah. And disease carries so much weight, the word. But if you break it down to dis-ease, mm. say it a bit slower, mm. you're like there's a disease in yeah, the body. That's absolutely. a lot easier to get your yeah, head around, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? It's, it carries yeah, less and weight.
0: I, and I think, that's you know, to, to just to come back to the podcast, let's talk about psoriasis. The, you know, the, the great thing about the podcast, which I, is, you know, I have to say is created by Janssen. Pharmaceuticals, but in col- in collaboration with Arthritis Ireland, who do a huge amount of work to raise awareness of of the the, the diseases, the diseases, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know that that, and that's the great thing about the podcast is it really covers all the different aspects of psoriatic uh, disease.
1: Does lifestyle play a role? And I say that with trepidation because there's a certain inference that there's blame there that you were living a certain way and so you got this. But can the foods we eat or the way we move our body influence how the condition
0: affects us. Yeah, I think it's it's really important that it's not a blame game. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's at fault here. This is something that occurs. It, it it's something that occurs and can occur at any time. So as I said, we, we can see teenagers presenting with this condition, sometimes even younger children. Uh, so it's not just a disease of the older age groups, which often people think about arthritis. Um but yeah, it's not blame. But but actually, one of the key lifestyle issues that uh, we have identified, and it's it's difficult to quantify or measure, but that is stress, and stress is is recognised as being a key factor in the etiology of both psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And often patients will come in and say, "Oh well, this started. Yeah, it started after you know I had a very stressful situation, whether it was at work or at home or you know in their life, whatever." Uh, some major life event that maybe put them under stress. Uh, And you can often, you know, marry the, the onset of the disease to when the stress started.
1: Oh, this stuff gives me chills. I love all this mind, body, soul stuff that all of the medical professionals are starting to to look at and talk about. And I think anyone who gets it can just bring themselves back to Eamon Byrne, who's out there cycling, going to the Olympics. Um, so, you know, you had a really busy, hectic, but healthy lifestyle. This is just something that happened. Uh, what about the treatment plan then? Did you have to try a few things before you found what worked for you?
3: Um. Yeah, so anti-inflammatories were the first uh, part to call for me, but to be fair, that was something I was already doing. I was already treating, I, I suppose self-treating. I would take anti-inflammatories, my doctor would have prescribed me anti-inflammatories for, for the existing back pain. And I just found when it got to a flare that it made no difference. It, whatever whatever I took that week, whatever I did that week, once it came, it was there. Um. But those flares now, in retrospect, were brought on by high stress, high pressure weeks. Because uh, str- stress can be defined as so many things. But it was for me, when I, when I kind of linked it, was, was, it was a competition week. We had a world championships in Holland. It was in great form. And that week, um, the beginning of that week, it just that was it. Nothing could be done. We had physiotherapy every day. I had all of the painkillers that had been prescribed by the specialist. And on the day I turned up and I wasn't the best version of myself because I was in pain, I, I couldn't um, uh, compete the way I wanted to compete physically, just just wasn't able to. And it was afterwards when that week was over, I realised the flare up was gone because the, the stress was gone. I was getting more stressed over the pain and as the week went on, the pressure was building. Um, it just it just stayed there and then once i got home i didn't have to take a single tablet you know the next day, next day i was fine no pain and that really that that's what made me kind of think right there's there's you know it stress is a big factor for me
1: so how do you dial it down because life continues to be busy and there'll be another competition day do you prioritise sleep more do you bring in other stress reducing elements to your life
3: So, like I mean you could talk about that as a, as a separate subject yeah. there's so many ways to mitigate stress and you know if you're doing the basic things right you know if you're sleeping consistently in enough hours you know if you're trying to um, you know eat properly, you're getting exercise in, which are all positive forms of, of even, even at that, they might be stressed, but some of them are positive forms of stress. Just to be out there and actually not be under pressure. I know I can't tell anybody not to be under pressure or, or stress in work, but there are things you can do outside of work. And that's I, I always just try to, to monitor those bits that I can control. Um, As easy as it is to say that, um, I, I get stressed too, but... <laughs> like it's I have honestly learned to control that better now and that's including high pressure situation just I do my very best you know be it meditation be it like uh, you know different visualizations before competing stuff like that I'm, I'm like cool as a cucumber now whereas I wouldn't have been before certainly not to the same extent
1: Yeah and as you say knowledge is power and mm. it's that awareness you would have been panicking about the pain panicking about how you're going to get on and now you're like no this causes the flare up Let's take yeah. a few deep breaths. Might not work every time, but it's the awareness that's key. Well, there is a new podcast, as the lads mentioned a couple of times, and video series online. It's hosted by our very own Dr. Kira Kelly and it features Eamon Byrne and Professor Doug Veal in episode four. But there is plenty of information there. Just search for Let's Talk About Psoriasis to find out more. Professor Doug Veal and Eamon Byrne, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for Thank you. Us. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week.
0: Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.